Hello, everybody. My name is Robert Betke, and this week we have two scripture readings. And the first comes from Exodus chapter 19, verses 3 through 6, and goes as follows. Then Moses climbed the mountain to appear before God. The Lord called to him from the mountain and said, Give these instructions to the family of Jacob. Announce it to the descendants of Israel. You have seen what I did to the Egyptians. You know how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now if you will obey me and keep my covenant, you will be my own special treasure from among all the peoples on earth. For all the earth belongs to me, and you will be my kingdom of priests, my holy nation. This is the message you must give to the people of Israel. And the second comes from Mark chapter 11, verses 15 through 18, and goes as follows. When they arrived back in Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple and began to drive out the people buying and selling animals for sacrifices. He knocked over the tables of the money changers and the chairs of those selling doves, and he stopped everyone from using the temple as a marketplace. He said to them, the, strict, the scriptures declare, my temple will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have turned it into a den of thieves. When the leading priests and teachers of religious law heard what Jesus had done, they began planning how to kill him. They were afraid of him because the people were so amazed at his teaching. Thank you. Hey Grace 242, Pastor Bill here. Many of you know that last week I was on Continuing Ed, staying at Jeremy and Cindy LeSage's camp just north of Wisconsin Dells. And as part of that Continuing Ed, I was studying the Book of Acts in preparation for our next message series, which is going to launch next week at our celebration service on September 5th at Cedar Creek Community at 5 p.m. I could not be more excited to see you all in the flesh gathered for worship next week. But I was reading the book of Acts, and if it's one thing that stood out to me as I was reading the book of Acts, it was this constant opposition to the gospel, Christ, and the church. And if it's one thing I feel that Christ guarantees us that we will face in this life as Christians, it's opposition to the gospel. In John 15, 18, Jesus says, If the world hates you, remember that it hated me first. The world will always oppose the gospel. And we're seeing that opposition to the gospel bear itself out in the Black Lives Matter movement. We've maintained all throughout this series that every Christian ought to support the phrase Black Lives Matter, but no Christian can support the organization Black Lives Matter. We all support the phrase because of course Black Lives Matter. White Lives Matter, Old Lives Matter, Young Lives Matter, Unborn Lives Matter, all lives matter. But conversely, we cannot support the organization because they are opposed to biblical truth. But opposing the organization comes with a price. We oppose the organization because the organization Black Lives Matter is fundamentally opposed to the Bible. And as we see in Acts and as we're seeing in our culture today, biblical truth comes with a price because biblical truth confronts the lies of our culture. Several weeks ago, Milwaukee Lutheran High School paid a price for remaining faithful to God's Word. One of our own people here at Grace 242 is a teacher at Milwaukee Lutheran High School, and he was the one who initially drew my attention to what was happening over there. The high school stood on biblical truth when they put out a statement of agreement with the phrase Black Lives Matter, and in, in this statement they also opposed the organization Black Lives Matter. And now they're facing all sorts of backlash. Watch the video. 
school's Facebook post that sparked backlash stated they support black lives and families, but do not support the Black Lives Matter organization, adding it does not align with biblical views. In response to an interview request, school leaders sent an email condemning racism, adding, we are saddened by the divisive nature of the comments surrounding this issue. The intention of our post was to affirm that we love our black students and their families while acknowledging our Christian values. This statement was met with calls for parents to boycott the school and pull their children. And the really sad thing in all this is the conflation by the detractors of the phrase Black Lives Matter and the organization Black Lives Matter. They conflate it into one. Because the school stood against the organization, the critics immediately took that to mean that black lives don't matter to the school, which is utterly ridiculous. For instance, take this parent's response talking about her son no longer attending. Quote, my son said he wouldn't feel safe there. He needs to go to a school where he'll be supported and where he knows black lives actually do matter or this woman's response. It's time to dismantle each and every institution, small or large, including any churches and schools that make their livings off black folks as they simultaneously mock our existence and disregard our humanity. Do you see the widening ethnic divide? Do you see the division being sowed and battle lines being drawn based on skin pigmentation? Do you see the price paid by the school for standing on biblical truth? One of the reasons why there will always be opposition to the gospel is because the gospel is truth. God's word is truth. The same Jesus who said, if the world hates you, remember that it hated me first, also says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. The past few weeks of this series, we've been countering the lies of this world by walking through the narrative of scripture. And we've been stopping at these crucial points in the narrative to mine God's truth on ethnicity and skin pigmentation. We saw that all lives matter because all humans were made in the image of God, tasked with the job of reflecting God to all peoples of the globe. And then we saw how there is one race, the human race. We get different skin shades because humans were dispersed all over the globe right before Babel and also at the Tower of Babel. And this week we're going to look at an Old Testament event and we're going to look at a New Testament event and then we're going to see how Jesus had to pay the ultimate price for truth. Let's look at the Old Testament. We're going to look at Exodus 19 and as you're turning there, remember what creation showed us. God creates Adam and Eve distinct from the rest of creation because they are image bearers. They are God's mirrors, his reflections. And as reflections, their task is to reflect God to the rest of creation. And by reflecting God, they spread his reign all over the earth. Adam and Eve have kids and their kids have kids and eventually we get to Noah and God preserves Noah and his family through the flood. And then Noah's family expands and fills the earth. And then God chooses this man, Abraham, to be the father of this nation, Israel. God rescues Israel from slavery in Egypt, brings them through the waters of the Red Sea to this mountain called Mount Sinai. And it's here at Mount Sinai that the nation of Israel is going to receive the baton once held by Adam and Eve. Let's look at Exodus 19 and we'll read verses 3 to 6. Then Moses climbed the mountain to appear before God. The Lord called to him from the mountain and said, Give these instructions to the family of Jacob. Announce it to the descendants of Israel. You have seen what I did to the Egyptians. You know how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. 
Now if you will obey me and keep my covenant, you will be my own special treasure from among all the peoples on earth. For all the earth belongs to me, and you will be my kingdom of priests, my holy nation. This is the message you must give to the people of Israel. Now let's unpack this for a moment. There's a looking back aspect to this event, and there's a looking forward aspect to this event. First, verse 4 looks back at the relationship that Israel had with God. God says, look at all I've done for you. I rescued you from slavery in Egypt. When God talks about carrying them on eagle's wings in the ancient Near East, the eagle was an image of protection. And so God is saying, I've protected you. I'm the one that's committed to you. I'm the one that loves you. Verse 4 looks back on the relationship that God has with Israel. And verses 5 and 6 look forward to Israel bringing that relationship with God to the other nations. Let's read verses 5 and 6. Now if you will obey me and keep my covenant, you will be my own special treasure from among all the peoples on the earth. For all the earth belongs to me and you will be my kingdom of priests, my holy nation. This is the message you must give to the people of Israel. Israel is God's special treasure, his holy nation of kingdom priests. To be holy means to be set apart. Even though the priesthood was yet to be established at this point, the Israelite priests were the people who were set apart to be God's representatives. They were the ones who worked at the tabernacle, representing God to the people and the people to God. In the same way, the nation of Israel is set apart to be God's priests to the other nations. They are to represent God to all the other nations and people groups on the earth. In the same way that Adam and Eve, as images of God, were to reflect God to the rest of creation, Israel is to reflect God to the other nations. Israel is to take their relationship with God to the other nations with the intent that the other nations would also enter into relationship with God. Now let's take a step back here for a second and look at how this relates to ethnicity and skin pigmentation. God's plan is that he would be known to all people groups. The Bible shows us that no matter your ethnicity, no matter your nationality, no matter your skin pigmentation, God's plan is to bring the knowledge of him to all nations. At the center of the Israelite camp was the tabernacle. And the tabernacle was where God's presence made his home. The priests were set apart to be workers at the temple. And as people would come to God at the tabernacle to exercise their relationship with him, the priests would assist as God's representatives. They'd assist with the sacrifices and the other rites that the Israelites would engage in. In the same way Israel, as a nation of priests, is to bring the tabernacle to all nations, all people groups, all ethnicities. Or said another way, access to God isn't supposed to simply stay with Israel. Access to God is to be given to all the other nations, people groups, and ethnicities. But the bad news is, is that Israel failed at their job. Instead of being set apart to reflect God to the other nations, the Israelites abrogate their holy set-apartness and conflate themselves with the other nations. And in so doing, rather than reflecting God, they reflect the other nations. Now flash forward to the New Testament, and we're introduced to the one who succeeds where Israel fails. Just like Israel was to be God's special possession, Jesus is God's own son. At Jesus' baptism, his father from heaven says, This is my dearly loved son, 
who brings me great joy. Israel was to be kingdom priests, and Jesus is our great high priest. Hebrews says, therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God. Israel was to be a holy nation. Jesus is the Holy One of God. One of the demons that Jesus cast out of this demon-possessed man addressed Jesus in this way, saying, Why are you interfering with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. On Palm Sunday, we celebrate the beginning of Jesus' last week before he died. At the beginning of the week, Jesus rides into Jerusalem, and everyone celebrates his arrival. People shout Hosanna while they're waving palm branches and laying their cloaks down in the street. And the whole thing is this prophetic image of the arrival of the king. And after this prophetic act of riding into the city like a conquering king, Jesus performs another prophetic act. Let's look at Mark 11 and we'll read verses 15 to 17. When they arrived back in Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple and began to drive out the people buying and selling animals for sacrifices. He knocked over the tables of the money changers and the chairs of those selling doves, and he stopped everyone from using the temple as a marketplace. He said to them, The scriptures declare, My temple will be called a house of prayer for all nations, which you have turned it into a den of thieves. When Jesus entered the temple, he entered the temple courts through this south entrance known as the Pilgrim Tunnels. The original temple that Solomon had built was destroyed when Babylon invaded Jerusalem and laid the city to waste. But when Rome came into power, the Roman king Herod rebuilt the temple bigger and more magnificent than ever. And you can see the comparison on this graphic. So Jesus climbs the 200-foot-wide staircase to enter the temple courtyard through the pilgrim tunnels, and he emerges in this area called the Royal Stoa. And the Royal Stoa is this covered area which is connected to the court of the Gentiles. And as Jesus emerges in the royal stoa, he sees these barriers to God's presence that have been put in place. The money changers exchanging for the proper currency at the temple took a cut of every exchange, and so this is a financial barrier to God's presence. There were people selling animals for sacrifices at the temple, and better sacrifices cost more, so people with less means had to settle for lesser sacrifices. Mary and Joseph could only afford two birds when they brought the sacrifice after Jesus was born. And so this selling of sacrifice is a class barrier. The royal stoa, where all this commerce is taking place, is connected to the court of the Gentiles. Now Gentiles, or non-Jews, are allowed to be in this area, but Gentiles were excluded from getting any closer to God's presence because only Jews could enter the inner courts. In 1871, French archaeologist Charles Simon Clermont Ganot discovered a tablet that once stood as part of the gates between the outer Gentile courts and the inner Jewish courts. And the inscription on the tablet reads this, No person of another race may enter within the barrier around the temple and its surrounding enclosure. Whoever is caught doing so will have himself to blame for his ensuing death. The temple geography itself contains ethnic barriers to God's presence. Gentiles could only go so far as the outer courts. Only Jews could go into the inner courts. So Jesus is seeing all of these barriers to God's presence, and it's a far cry from God's intention that Israel would be a priest to all nations. And it's a far cry from Solomon's temple where both Jew and Gentile could come to God. 
King Solomon, after completing the first temple, prayed this at the temple dedication service in 1 Kings chapter 8, verses 41 to 43. In the future, foreigners who do not belong to your people Israel will hear of you. They will come from distant lands because of your name, for they will hear of your great name and your strong hand and your powerful arm. And when they pray toward this temple, then hear from heaven where you live and grant what they ask of you. In this way, all the people of the earth will come to know and fear you, just as your own people Israel do. They too will know that this temple I have built honors your name. Seeing all of these barriers to God's intention that all nations would come to know God, Jesus begins to flip the tables and drive the people engaged in commerce out. And he says in verse 17 of Mark, the scriptures declare, my temple will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have turned it into a den of thieves. The word nations that Jesus uses in verse 17 is the Greek word ethnos. And the same Greek word appears in Acts 17 verse 26, which says, from one man he created all nations, ethnos, throughout the whole earth. He decided beforehand when they should rise and fall, and he determined their boundaries. In clearing the temple, Jesus is once again showing us God's plan that all ethnos, all nations, all people groups, all ethnicities, all skin shades would find a relationship with God. Israel was supposed to be a nation of priests who showed the other nations who God is. They were to show people to the tabernacle. They were to escort people into the presence of God. But Israel failed. Jesus, as the great high priest, is tearing down the barriers to God's presence. He is opening the way for both Jews and Gentiles to come to God. Now look back at verse 18 of Mark chapter 11. When the leading priests and teachers of religious law heard what Jesus had done, they began planning how to kill him. But they were afraid of him because the people were amazed at his teaching. The temple clearing was one of many crucial acts that landed Jesus on the cross. And so Jesus pays with his life for God's truth. The truth is that God wants all ethnos to come into a relationship with him. And Jesus died to make that possible. Like I said at the beginning of this message, biblical truth comes with a price. In the Bible, we see Jesus removing ethnic barriers, but the culture does the opposite. Today, we see culture constructing ethnic barriers. And if you don't go along with the cultural narrative, you're going to pay a price. Carrie Smith is a new Christian who, after becoming a follower of Jesus, turned away from her self-described life of advocating for what she calls social justice ideology. And recently, Carrie appeared as a guest on a news and culture podcast hosted by journalist Tim Poole. Now, Tim Poole is not a Christ follower, but I appreciate his willingness to engage in a discussion with a Christian like Carrie. I want us to watch this clip where Carrie and Tim talk about how the very name Black Lives Matter sets up barriers. And if you disagree with them, you will pay a price. Let's watch. Well, they, they do the same thing with now. I'm sure you've seen it. They're, the thing they're pushing now is this word anti-racism. They say uh -huh. it's not enough to be not racist. You have to be anti-racist. Actively okay. anti-racist. Well, what does anti-racist mean? Mm -hmm. It means racist. And yes. look at what they mean when they say anti-racist. They mean you must treat people differently and judge them on the basis of race. Okay, what is that? <laughs> <laughs> That's racism, guys. Like, I've... It's... it's this is how they do it. Yeah. You know, Black Lives Matter. 
Well, who could disagree with that? Yes. Like, and I, I look back in the past and I say, you know what? We did a really good job of getting rid of all these really awful things. Today, mo we all agree. Like, life in general and, and it matters. And I understand what they mean when they say it. But then when they go around smashing, burning, beating mm -hmm. people, and it's mostly white people doing it. Yeah. I'm like, you see, now you're just using that so that if we question you, we get attacked. Yeah. The moment that Jesus gave up his life on the cross, the temple curtain was torn in half. That curtain separated the holy place in the temple from the most holy place in the temple, and the most holy place is where God's presence lived. So by giving up his life, Jesus opened the way to God. It was the exclamation point to Jesus' temple clearing. In Jesus, the way to God is open, no matter your ethnicity. It's not about your ethnic heritage. It's not about your skin pigment. It's not about your nationality. It's about Jesus. Now I'm going to end this message series with John's picture of the future in Revelation. We're going to look at Revelation 7 verses 9 and 10. This is God's vision finally realized in its completeness. And it ought to be our vision when it comes to the issue of ethnicity and skin pigmentation. Let's read. After this, I saw a vast crowd, too great to count, from every nation and tribe and people and language, standing in front of the throne and before the Lamb. They were clothed in white robes and held palm branches in their hands. And they were shouting with a great roar, Salvation comes from our God who sits on the throne and from the Lamb. John sees every skin shade, every ethnos, worshiping Jesus on his throne. Now, I've mentioned my friend, Seth Stevens, who is a pastor in California before, but I love this quote from Seth. He says this, he says, If you're most comfortable in homogeneous worship, then you're going to be very uncomfortable in heaven. Pastor John Piper says that God, by scattering the people at Babel, has brought more glory to himself because the worshipers of Jesus don't all look the same. They don't all speak the same language. It's all different skin shades, all different cultures, all different languages, praising God and making much of Jesus on his throne. Now that is a powerful image. So I'll simply end this series by repeating what I've been saying all throughout. It's not about ethnicity. It's not about your skin shade. It's about Jesus.